Turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, the 15th chapter. <clears throat> We're studying a topic is the long war. We are in war. The Old Testament was all about various wars, tribe against tribe, civil wars, friend against foe. The New Testament is about the inward war. John 15, verse 1, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit in itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same forth bringeth much, forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. To live outside of Christ wouldn't work if we're Christ were in him. I can remember when I was young, I wanted to do right. I'm talking pre-teen. I wanted to be good. I didn't succeed. Everything I sought to do, I sought to do it my way. And... When we do things apart from Christ, we're going to fail. And he allows us to make a fool of ourselves to show that we cannot do as we're told here. Without him, we can do nothing. But with God's assistance, we can accomplish great things. Now, if God does not intervene and rather leaves us alone to our own will, that's the worst thing he could do for us. We'll end up in utter destruction. Sometime back I saw on the net a picture for 15 childhood photos of some of the most wicked beings this world has ever known. I'm talking about the Adolf Hitler, the Stalins. And looking at their pictures of them when they were children, they looked young and innocent. We will be no better unless we conform ourselves to the image of Christ. We're in, as I said, we're in a war. And there's three sides to a story. Yours, mine, and the truth. And there's three ways of looking at war. When Joshua went in to take the promised land, he saw the angel of the Lord. With his sword drawn in his hand, and Joshua went unto him and said unto him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? He seen there's something serious about this warrior. And he said, Nay, but as captain of the host of the Lord, I, am I now come? And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him, What saith my Lord to his servant? There's three sides to the story, yours, mine, and the truth. The truth is the Lord's side. We're in a war, and unless we walk in the great commander, we will not have any success. We'll have failure. 
Does it, well, we should ask, does it bother us that human nature can be so vile? All the things we see going on, the, the atrocities, they, they amaze us. They vex our souls. One said, it's not the flourishing of evil that surprises me, but I cannot understand why people have no desire to stop it. Because man's the sinner by nature. He's the sinner by choice. That's the reason why Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3, fornication, uncleanness, and covetousness, let it not be once named among you that become a saints, neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For you know that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Bible's plain on these things. We don't have to really define them. It, it just tells us point blank. We read in the Old Testament about a... In the Old Testament, characters are there for reason, for our admonition, for our learning. We read about two men, a father and a son. Hezekiah was a father, and his son was named Manasseh. In Second Chronicles, we read about them. Second Chronicles, chapter thirty-three. <clears throat> this man brought great evil, and we've had leaders in our country that's brought great evil that hasn't been rectified yet. Um, in chapter thirty-three of Second Chronicles, pages stuck together. Verse 1, Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign and reigned 50 and 5 years in Jerusalem. And he was the, probably the most wicked. We could read all the evil things that he did. He built altars for the host of heaven, verse 5, caused his children to pass through the fire, sacrificed him to heathen uh, image like abortion. Observed times and used enchantments. Terrible man. Goes on through verse 16, tell about all the evil things he did. But to show that the Lord is mightier, he granted him repentance. Verse 11, Wherefore the Lord brought upon him the captain of the host of the king of Assyria and took Manasseh among the thorns. That's where they'd chain you to a horse and drag you through the briars. Yeah. I think you've been bad. Show you one batter, I guess. That's one thing he, he learned. And he prayed unto him, and he was entreated of him. And he heard his supplication and sought him again to Jerusalem. Let him go back home. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord, he was God. Regardless of how bad things are, the Almighty can fix it. God can overrule in even the vilest of sinners. Now this man, Manasseh, he was religious, not a true religion. He built altars. He did worship wickedness marvel not at one's religious affiliation 
but rather how do they obey God's word? That's what we're to do, obey at all times. We see here one in his youth. In the second second Chronicles twenty four, I believe. Verse 1 and 2, Joash was seven years old when he began to reign. He reigned 40 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Zibiah of Beersheba, and Joash did that which was right in the sight of the Lord in all the days of Jehoiada, Jehoiada the priest. Why didn't this man get the 55 years? Well, notice one other thing. He'd done right as long as he had that man as priest. One, one godly influence can do a lot of good. We read in the book of Ecclesiastes, one sinner can do a lot of evil. It's in chapter 9. One very, very last verse, Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroyeth much good. We can do a lot of things. Might tell the right person to look to the Lord may get involved with the sin that some observe, lose their testimony. We're the salt of the earth. The Lord, as we see in the case of Manasseh and Hezekiah, had the final say. Apart from Christ, we can do nothing. We will fail miserably. Back to John chapter 15. Man feels uncomfortable in God's ways. Well, he does not if he stays in them. Verse 4, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except you abide in the vine. Be no success any other way. But always keep in mind verse 6, If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. That's the final analysis. Verse 10, If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. We're to love one another. And he goes on to say, These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. Now, in warfare, intensity is needed. You guys have to be intense. Talking to Brother Eddie about King David, he slew a lion and a bear. Now, he did that. We read nothing about the Spirit of the Lord coming upon him to do it. I'm not saying he did or didn't. But nevertheless, war and fighting and killing a lion and a bear with bare hands, so to speak, took some doing. David had to have an intensity about him. 
in times of war, there's no place for lethargy. John chapter 2, verse 13. Gospel of John 2, 13. And the Jews' Passover was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem and found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and the changers of money sitting. And when he had made a scourge of small cords, he drove them all all out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overthrew the tables and said unto them that sold doves, Take these things hence, make not my father's house a house of merchandise. Well, at that time, that was still the Lord's house. And his disciples remembered that it is written, The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. While well, we find later when I think it's in the Gospel of Luke, the 19th chapter, he called it your house. But not his father's. Now, most of us have heard of the old great southern comedian Jerry Clower. He played football at Mississippi State. Halftime at one game, this is a true story, he said. Of course, we're talking Jerry Clower told him, Jerry, you're going to have to get ferocious. He said, sure thing, coach. What's his number? Uh, he had to get some intensity. To do anything on that level, you better have some intensity. Paul was an intense man. He was called a pestilent fellow, causing trouble, overthrowing laws. Paul was preaching Christ. Luke chapter 5, verse 4. And when they left speaking, he said unto Simon, that Simon Peter launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draft. And Simon answered and said unto him, Master, we have toiled all night and have taken nothing. <laughs> no kidding. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And when they had thus done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and the net break. And they beckoned unto their partners which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both ships so that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. He was an emotional guy. He was intense. Why we read so much about Peter? Because he was special. He's most like us. Sometimes good and sometimes we're bad. We read the sons of thunder, James and John. Lord, would you have us bring down fire on the Samaritans? The Lord had to tell them you don't know what manner of men you are. We're not here to destroy, we're here to save. The pro problem with the Laodicean church in Revelation 3.18, they were lukewarm, meaning they were divided between two. They lacked intensity. The teachers of old, I had some of them in school. They knew how to hold control. They didn't allow the talking or the noise. They'd put you in your place in a heartbeat. No horseplay, no nonsense. Coaches on sports teams are hired to instill intensity into their teams. That's it in a nutshell, regardless of what the sport is.
Look at the Proverbs. We glean a lot from them. Proverbs 12, 24. <clears throat> the hand of the diligent shall bear rule. Yeah. To be a good ruler, you're going to have to be diligent. The hand of the diligent shall bear rule. But the slothful shall be under tribute. In other words, under taxation without representation. The righteous is more excellent than his neighbor, but the way of the wicked seduceth them. A slothful man roasteth not that which he took in honey. It's too much work. But the substance of a diligent man is precious. He makes it count. doesn't waste anything. And the way of the righteous is life. In the pathway there is no death. Christ never attended funerals, broke them up, healed the sick. Proverbs 20, 21 and 5. The thoughts of the diligent tend only to plenteousness, but to everyone that is hasty only to want. What's the difference? One is for self and mind, while the other is... One keeps self in mind, I guess is what I'm saying, and the other keeps God in mind. The, the wicked is all about self. The righteous is all about God and God's glory. Paul said of himself in the book of Galatians, of Galatians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. Of course, Galatians tells about how Paul was a type of Moses in some sense. Galatians 1 and 13. Galatians 1, 13. For, I have heard of, for ye have heard of my conversation in past time of the Jews, in time past of the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it and profited not, and profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in mine own nation, being more exceeding zealous of the tradition of the fathers. He thought he was, I mean, he was a Pharisee's Pharisee, touching the law of blameless, he said in another place, and I believe it's in Philippians. But when he was struck down by the Lord, he seen that he was a wicked sinner, chief of all sinners, which, I mean, Paul, all those great things you did, they were but done. Paul eventually got on the right track. The Lord intervened. Peter was sifted. The Lord kept him from falling. Both eventually died martyrs' deaths. Back to the book of Proverbs, the 28th chapter, first verse. The wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. Lions turn away from nobody. They'll fight to the death. We think about Elijah was bold, rebuked King Ahab, told him that it was because of the sins of him and his father that that three-and-a-half-year drought had came upon them. But he was scared off by Jezebel. 
that's our human nature. We can be bold one minute, we're like Peter, and down the next. The book of Titus, chapter 2, Titus chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, which is, talks of our blessed hope that we have. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. Does that mean everything's going to be fine? It's going to be war. But looking for the blessed, that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, it's getting here every day. It's, who gave himself for it that he might redeem us from all inequity. Don't believe like some call cults believe it. Christ made man savable. He redeems us from all inequity. Not partial. Over in the book of First Peter, First Peter chapter two verse nine. First Peter two nine. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Glorify Him who hath saved us the vine is amazing creation it brings water and nutrients to the fruit needed vines work they, like I say it's amazing they work quickly really they latch on to whatever they can they grow they produce fruit There's a theory that some claim this passage teaches the falling away of doctrine. One can lose their salvation, claiming the vine bringeth forth not fruit is cut off. Well, indeed, there's a sin unto death. But in such cases, one can be merely a professor saying that they have salvation, eternal life, and maybe they're not a true possessor. Is Christ in us? That's a question we always need to ask ourselves. We are to conform ourselves into his image. He's a great warrior. We've seen that over in the book of Joshua. There is no such thing as a life outside of Christ. But if we are honest with ourselves, we might have to admit that we try to live outside of Christ sometimes with worldly ways. We talk about worship. We worship in spirit and in truth. Any worship that is motivated by the flesh is not true worship. That's, of course, the pagan holidays. And we'd have to admit what we've seen out of the pagan holidays, Christ is not truly on the mind of those observing them. To abide... And Christ is to live in him. Now, there's other things mentioned in this passage in John 15, purging. Now, purging is not necessarily a fun thing. 
there's a dunging that they fertilize it. That's the fertilizer they use in that day and age, not out of a bag. The pruning saw, the axe, they cut off anything that is dead off the tree. All to cleanse the vine. The whole world being Christian in word only is Armenian in word only. That is, man thinks he has to do his part. Well, man done his part. He sinned. Many saplings are driven away. Pretenders. The closer we get to Christ, the tougher it is to walk in this world. The world is anti-Christ. In the Gospel of Luke, the 13th chapter, verse 6. <clears throat> and he spake this parable, a certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came and sought fruit thereof and found none. And he said to the dresser of the vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down, why cumbereth it to ground? They didn't waste a lot of time in that farming climate of a tree that didn't produce anything. It took up from one that would produce fruit. Let it alone. And he answered it and said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also till I dig about it and dung it. And if it bear fruit well, and if not, then after thou shalt cut it down. That was being the fourth year, which is the fourth year, the final year of Christ's earthly ministry. And of course, we know what happened. Christ cursed the fig tree, but in time, the curse will be lifted. Eli, in the Old Testament, had sons talking about those that were mere professors. His sons, as Scripture tells us, they knew not the Lord. They were wicked men. They were hiring hirelings. The law was when they dropped the meat of the sacrifice into the pot, whatever they brought up first is what they got to keep. They said, no, we'll take the whole thing and we'll, we'll take it away from you by force which was contrary to the law. But they were wicked anyway, and God judged the house of Israel, Eli, excuse me. Perhaps we too tremble at the ark of God. When Eli's sons went into battle, they carried the ark of God with them, and the Philistines took it away from them. That's in 1 Samuel chapter 2. And when they come and told Eli that the ark had been taken and his sons had been slain in battle, he fell and broke his neck and died because the ark had been taken. One may tremble for the ark of God, may fear it, but that ark represented Christ. It was, like I say, it's typical of Christ. If you had the ark, you had Christ. 
Well, it did not help Eli's sons. They brought the ark in, and they were slain in battle, and the ark was taken. They were, as I said, they were hirelings. What they did was no worse or better than the televangelists do. I'm talking about the those that preach the health and the wealth gospel. Do you recall any doctrine, hearing any doctrine from Eli and his sons? We didn't read the account there. No, they didn't teach us anything. Yes, they did teach us something. To obey is better than the sacrifice, Samuel said there in the book of 1 Samuel, I believe it's chapter 15. Do we have zeal that we need? Does God's word motivate us to do right? When it declares coming judgment, does it unsettle us? I had a dream here a couple of weeks ago. I've seen four nuclear subs coming from the east. I mean, really, I had this dream. Now, would I say proclaim it, broadcast it? No, because God's word already said in the book of Acts, in the latter days, the young shall see visions, the old shall dream dreams. I hope it's nothing more than just a dream. Does God's word, do we take the whole counsel, or do we just take one little part like they do about tongues? Tongues are not needed this day and age. We have this Bible written in about every known language. Where tongues are, they shall cease, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Keeping in mind the whole counsel. And God is no respecter of persons. We're told in Luke chapter 12, verse 47, And the servant which knew his Lord's will and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. We're going to be held accountable for what we've been given. But he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. For unto whomsoever much is given of him shall be much required. And to whom men have committed much of him they will ask the more. I am come to send fire on the earth, and what will I if it be already kindled? It's already burning when I get there. It's really going to get hot. That day is approaching. To live outside of Christ is to put off Christ, and such would be impossible for a true Christian to do. Well, we need to examine ourselves from time to time. Do we bear any fruit? Is it good fruit? I mean, there's poisonous, I guess you would call them fruits, unedible. In Galatians, that's passage I'm looking for, Galatians chapter 5 gives the sins of the flesh, but also gives the fruits of the Spirit. Verse 22 of Galatians 5, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. 
And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. Have we crucified the flesh? Lot was vexed, we're told in the writings of Peter daily, what he's seen in Sodom and Gomorrah. We should be vexed every day with the things we see and have to tolerate. One may have enough of sin in the world. The druggies, the drunks had enough of their vice. The gamblers may have had enough and look back at the road that they've traveled, and we all will. Have we done any good? Have we made a mess of what we've done? We could say like Jonah, it's better for me to die than to live. I've done nothing but make a failure out of everything or a failure out of myself and a disaster out of everything. We may be a miserable failure or feel like we are. No accomplishments. Solomon wrote there in the book of Ecclesiastes at, at the end of his life. He was miserable. Ecclesiastes 2. Verse 17, Therefore I hated life because the work that was wrought under the sun is grievous unto me, for all is vanity and vexation of the Spirit. That's the way it appears if you do things without Christ. That's just it in a nutshell. In Christ, victory is promised. There are no de true defeated Christians. Solomon said, I said in my heart, as it happened to the fool, so it happeneth to me. And why was I then more wise? Then I said in my heart, this is also vanity. There is no remembrance of the wise more than the fool forever, seeing that which now is the days to come shall be forgotten. He tried it all. He gave his heart to no wisdom, and instead he had vexation of spirit there in chapter 1, verse 17. Verse 18, For in much wisdom is much grief, and he that increaseth knowledge increases sorrow. But the wisdom that Solomon was talking about was worldly wisdom. He wrote a lot of books, read a lot of books, but they were things about worldly things. In final analysis, and we close in Luke chapter 12, Luke chapter 12, verse 15. And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things which he possesseth. You've heard it said before, all you're going to take to heaven with you is what you give away here on earth. It's a well-known fact that the wealthy and affluent destroy their own lives because they're given over to worldly things. But in Christ, we're to be made more like him, which we will see blessed things. Anyway, that's all I have for this morning's lesson.